Hey, welcome back to Our Texas, the Texas History Podcast about Texas history and stuff. I am one of your hosts, KJ Ellis, alongside virtually, digitally, and emotionally, Dr. Brad Folsom. What is up, Brad? Hey, when I say what is up, remind me to turn your volume up and then allow you to respond. What is up, okay. Brad? Turn, turn my volume up and then respond. <laughs> my bad. Go ahead. Okay. I, honestly, nothing. I mean, everybody else has got nothing going on. I've got nothing going on. Although we were talking right before this, you said that webcams are hard to find. I feel very useless because, or, or very bandwagony because I've been trying to set up my own uh, cam thing and mm-hmm. YouTube stuff, just like every other person on the planet. Although I uh, haven't been able to do it and I'm pretty sure that I missed the bandwagon and uh, all my hopes of having this internet video empire have, have pretty much fallen apart. See, I feel like when we started doing podcasts about four years ago or so, it was very coincidental. You know, we were not, you know, communicating about starting one podcast. We didn't even know each other when we started all this. Um, and it just so happened to be there were like three or four or five of us. And you guys had started in January or December or whatever a few months ahead of time. And then we started a few other podcasts, like within our little circle started all at once. Um, And so it feels like, oh, the whole world's doing this bit. And yes, while a lot of people are quote unquote pivoting to video out of need and realizing like, Hey, I need to be equipped to do this. And I imagine even more so in your world as uh, teaching becomes fully uh, remote. Um, The concept of everybody's doing it, Maybe I shouldn't. I think that's bullshit. Uh, I think uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be who does it most consistently and who does a quality job with it uh, that people stick around for. You know, us not being any examples of consistency uh, sure. on a week to week basis. We have for damn sure, you know, continuously tried to come up with shit that's worth uh, hitting play on and not uh, just doing poop jokes in the microphone for some years. So I, I, I say all of that to say F that do what you want to do, especially since it's not just a hobby for you. It's also like your fucking life passion. So chase that money. Yeah. If anybody wants to look at the videos that put up there on uh historo, so history, take out the Y, put an O there on YouTube. Don't make any shitty comments though, because I also post them for students and stuff too. I don't give a shit. Make comments, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so you've been uh, doing videos already, is what you're saying. What is it? You have been doing videos already, is what you're saying. What yeah, kind of videos I, have, I have you been doing? Other ideas, like so. My idea is um, all the Assassin's Creed games. They have very historically accurate depictions of like colonial New Orleans and Boston during the American Revolution. Get like history people I know that are experts in those time periods, and then just I'm playing the game. You got both our pictures up on the screen. I'm running around Boston and saying, you know, is this shit accurate? Is this over here, you know, true to life and asking weird questions, asking fun questions. Problem with that, though, I've tried to get this going already is historians are effing terrible. Like they constantly canceling. They just think of themselves. I mean, I I had a podcast way back in the day where we would try to review movies with historians and we had to cancel it because everybody would constantly cancel on us. And that's already started to happen with my two attempts to get this going. But hopefully I'll get that going. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll run around and 
colonial New Orleans or whatever and have historian there saying, all right, is this, is this accurate? Is this accurate? And if, if that's not the case, then uh, they'll, they'll tell me and I'll ask them weird questions and stuff too. Again, not, I don't think there's going to be a broad appeal to that, but I think like if you have to force students to watch things um, and maybe somebody that's interested in that time period of history, maybe they get a kick out of it. Is that you doing that? No, I closed out Chrome because I was like, I'm being too distracted clicking on ESPN on my other window. Oh my gosh. That means I'm not being very entertaining. No, you've recorded with me a hundred times. You know that I'm like fucking always fidgeting with something and I closed out all my windows is what I just did. Okay. <laughs> Including the one we were, we were recording. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And I closed out this window too, but I'm saying I also closed out the windows for my store. So no, no, no. I, what I was saying is I think it's a good idea and I agree. There has to be some bit about it. I think you're absolutely spot on that like 95% of the shit that's on YouTube or like videos out there that are independently created. People make it too much about them and not about the reason that like people searched it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big problem. Like you can look up, Oh, how to, you know, replace uh, there's a hole in the drywall and then it's hey YouTube. How's it going? It's Brian from drywall.com. And you know, today we're going to talk about replacing drywall. Tell me how to replace the 50 years I've been doing drywall is, uh, you know, you can do this, this. do that. What I need to do. Right. Like, the ones where it's a voiceover and just the action, like maybe there's a quick intro. I don't even need to see the person, especially travel videos. It's even worse when it's travel. Like I don't need your personal vlog about how you like people get confused of like me talking about how I feel is like some sort of live endorsement and stuff. I'm like, again, you can be the vehicle for information without being the subject of the conversation fucking recipes like it, it's a way to put food <laughs> and then they always start with a story or like this is a comfort food or some crap like that just tell me how to cook the food right however old people i've, I've read are the answer for that old people love that shit oh no, like it's a nostalgia thing or something or just old people connect with recipes through stories and they need that fucking like if you just throw out Jenna's fucking banana nut bread and you jump straight to the ingredients, old people are going to be like, well, how do I know this is good? Oh my God. Because you're just listing ingredients and you have to read that Jenna fucking walked through the Chiquita jungle and found bananas and found some flour, milled it down herself and fucking baked it on top of a vat of country crock. And it was great. So even if that were like mixed in somehow, but just tell me the ingredients up at the top. They never do that. They hide it at the bottom. It's always like three pages down. They have done something to compensate my anger for that recently that I appreciate. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but some ingredients websites have it built into where it'll say serving size six to eight for this like pasta. Um, And you can go in and change it to two servings or three servings and it will automatically update the percentage or like the fraction of the ingredients. And something that I thought of fucking 20 years ago, not 20 years ago, 15 years ago when I was back working at whole foods is that I should be able to basically click on a, a recipe and those ingredients should be in a shopping cart somewhere. Or I should be able to, and maybe not fucking one ounce of this, two ounces of that, but like those items, I should be able to click and buy like all at once if I wanted to and go pick it up if I wanted to. Um, Or I should be able to take a picture of a recipe and immediately 
like not have any fucking lag between, oh, where do I find bay leaves and all that bullshit. And they've been doing that too. So they've made it a lot easier to like jump to the action. Um, For the most part, I really honestly don't care about ingredients or food. I just want like how long I need to cook things. Like if, if I don't have the right ingredients, I, I really don't care. Like I'll just and I'm put not, that on there have... too. They, I need to have like five substitutes because there are websites that are for that, that are like, Hey, you don't have fucking cayenne. How about you take that crushed red pepper and throw okay. it in a food processor and you're good. Um, yeah. Anyhow, we are way, way off in the weeds. Um, long story short, Brad creates content at Historo on YouTube and it's not uh, very good. Go check it out. It, it's it's really boring, um, but hopefully non-boring stuff will be up there. Man, I've been watching Saroy. He's been knocking out of the park. I'm a little bit jealous because mm-hmm. I, I bought stock in him, and, and now other people are <laughs> getting on board, and and I'm I'm jealous uh, about that. I and love then, what uh, Mike is doing on Twitch. Um, what is it? I say I love that he is going all in on Twitch. He's doing a great job. I think it, for ages. Um, you know, again, talking ticket here, it's, uh, uh, you know, for ages, a lot of people on the ticket have had their side hustle that's been openly promoted, you know, whether it be their band or band, yeah. whatever else. Um, and I, I think it's only fair if others have that opportunity to leverage their ticket fame to self promote. Um, and what people are realizing is that, uh, he beat this wave by about three months and uh, that three months feels like fucking three years. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I'm really happy that happened. Yeah. So yeah. worked out in his favor. Um, we as a network have also added in a video element, um, which I feel like has had some hits and has had some misses. Uh, we are still tweaking our approach to it so that it's not just a belligerent blackout night with blowout. Um, Look at that alliteration. Aren't you fucking impressed by that? It was double. That's great. That was, that was amazing. Uh, but anyways, uh, Saturday nights for the most part, around nine-ish o'clock on the YouTubes or on Twitch. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, anybody in the Blowout Podcast Network, or mostly TC, myself, Jake, sometimes Machine, one of us will tweet it out. I don't include you in that statement because you don't tweet anything out. Um, we will be available for... How many hours? Who knows? Uh, hanging out, talking shit. And it's essentially what I've tried to describe to people is every year we've taken a guy's trip um, for the last five or six years, uh, sometimes to not Daytona, what's it called? Gulf Shores to go to Hangout Fest. Last year we did Montana. And every year it's always a thing where people are like, oh, you're going to this you know, festival with hot chicks or whatever. And we all will quickly tell you like, I don't remember talking to one woman the entire time. The reason we go is because we just go and try to make each other laugh. This isn't fully to that point because there are a lot of other influences that make those trips a little bit different and we have way less of a filter. Um, but I, I would say you're, you're, you're getting about 70% of what's seen there. Granted, the uh, crowd is a little bit smaller. There's usually about 10 or 12 people involved on those trips, but you're getting unadulterated uh, banter amongst the uh, four or five of us, depending on who's on. We'll add in guests. Brad has joined. Uh, you were I lucky enough. To, back um, okay. You just didn't get invited the following week. Like it's only been one other well, week, right? There was, you guys did it like 
Oh, four weeks ago I was on. I you were on, okay. So it's two weeks. You, so two weeks have passed since you've been on. What I was going to say is, uh, the week that you were on, I will say that you definitely wore the co MVP hat along with, uh, we randomly ended up with a, an only fans performer, uh, on there. And I thought you did quite well. I would say that your years and, and months and months of, uh, honing your craft of, uh, talking shit directly to uh you know a respectively attractive woman has paid off sure yeah th- that was fun i really enjoyed it and so that's why my heart was hurt when i wasn't invited back <laughs> i've been sitting here on saturday nights just staring at the walls okay i'm sure if you texted myself or tc at all we would add anyone in i think as a rule what we have to get better at kind of me speaking to myself and to tc and you know i can't say to jake because he has no control or responsibility in this matter is we need to be able to add people on once they start losing steam say okay i'll see you later and and bumping people off um Cause as you saw, even the night that you were on, you were on from the beginning. It was meant to be that way for you to be on start to finish. We did add a couple people on who then just kind of were sitting there in the corner. <laughs> it was just like, okay, how about this? I'll be like jet. I'll be like jet. Terry, things start going bad. You know, no, no offense. Get some points off the bench. Yep. Points off the bench right here. And, and I think that's how it should be. In addition to that, you know, it's it's impossible to ask anyone to do any extra work for what's essentially extra credit. Um, but uh, the collection of creative minds that we do have uh, assembled here uh, to bring a bit or a subject, but also to kind of yield the floor for that time for that to carry out, I think would uh, pay dividends. So anyways, that is my uh, non sequitur on video with the blowout podcast network live streams on Twitch and YouTube Saturday nights. Let's do that history thing we do. All right. So what I thought I'd talk about is a general history of quarantine in Texas, not a huge broad thing, but just uh, like women aren't it. into it. What is it? Nothing. Okay. You said it's not a huge broad thing. Okay. Anyway. So I thought I would just touch upon how governments in the past have dealt dealt with, uh, quarantines. Um, and basically what I discovered is what I suspected is that people acted just the exact same way in the past that we act today with this quarantine stuff. You're going to have some people that hate it, some people think it's a conspiracy, some people that try to get around it, all that kind of stuff. And, and movies and stuff have been pretty accurate. I think I've actually talked a little bit about one of these things before. I, actually, I know I have on the podcast, so I'll only briefly go over the colonial era. And I know if they're listening like now, they didn't, they didn't hear you talk about it, so just say it. Okay. Well, pre-Republic of Texas period – during my time period, you know, like the uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, the big problem was always smallpox. You would have these waves of smallpox that arrive up on the north, uh, up in the north. You know, they would hit towns, and there'd be like hundreds of deaths in these places, like uh, San Antonio. San Antonio actually was not that bad uh, for smallpox ec- epid- epidemics, and I think it's probably because it was more spread out than other colonial cities, and then the fact that it was. Uh, um, uh, you know, in a smaller population, but, uh, you would occasionally get these small, small, small pox outbreaks. Uh, and what they would have to do is do the exact same thing. Now, whenever you would hear a town has a smallpox outbreak, 
You get these Spanish commanders basically saying nobody leaves a damn town. Now enforcing that and saying it is one thing. Um, you'd obviously get people like I'm getting the hell out of here. I've already got it. And then they would take it to the next town and the, the quarantine spread. Um, there's a couple incidents like where, um, ships would land. I know this in one incident, a ship landed in Texas, tried to offload goods, uh, but there were reports that it was coming from Veracruz. Actually, that one's yellow fever. Uh, and they, they basically soldiers had to say, Nope, you're not unloading here. Um, Fun thing also with these smallpox outbreaks, and I was reading this in like an 1814 out, smallpox outbreak in, in Texas, um, you would get people saying, this is just BS. And they would be saying vaccine is BS. We've talked about this before. Um, and you would have these shamans say that the real way to cure smallpox is through herbs. Like drink this citrus juice and this these herbs, and this is going to cure you from smallpox. Don't do the vaccine. Uh, it's going to be this kind of stuff. And the guy wrote the book about this is a very tiny snippet of uh, the book, but um, it got to the point in one city just south of Texas where book. they couldn't bury the people quick enough and like dogs were eating them on the street. And then these shamans were telling these people this made up stuff. So he basically had to start arresting the shamans and kicking them out of, out of the state to, to prevent them from, uh, making BS up. So colonial time, same issues. Okay. And then they would always have these yellow fever outbreaks in East Texas uh, is hotter area, humid area than the rest of Texas. Um, so it usually wouldn't spread beyond that because I don't think you would see yellow fever. I just don't think the conditions were, were that prevalent in uh, San Antonio. And that was the only major city outside of East Texas during the colonial period. Uh, so Republic of Texas period, uh, the big disease was yellow fever. And this is going to be really big for the coastal cities, especially Houston and Galveston. And the first one I found... What is uh, yellow fever? Because I know so, like Yao Ming made it wildly popular to live in Houston. Oh my God. That is... I don't even... What is that? Is that a... Okay. All right. All right. I, I, anyway. What actually is it though? So it's a mosquito pass disease and they didn't know this until hold on before you tell me the truth. I would just like to note that yellow fever is a lot less derogatory than the term jungle fever. So is it really? I will. Okay, sir. I will take no flack from anyone on, uh, utilizing that term for that joke. So I thought that was a fun term. That's not a fun term. It was a fun song. It's been a fun well, I know the life, Spike Lee movie, but right? uh, again, the is term yellow is uh, a lot like using the term red skin, I would say. Uh, but Dude, the term jungle is I think uh, people should be color coded. Don't don't get me into that. Okay, but, but uh, yeah, then pivoting to the term jungle. That's not me saying this though. Well, you just Spike said it was Lee. fun. That's the only person I've known that's ever said Write that. Write this down. That. Brad says that jungle fever is fun. Anyways, what is yellow fever? So it's this tropical disease like malaria is passed between, um, I think it's a parasite actually. I, I could be wrong. Um, I know malaria is a parasite. Yellow fever, now I'm going to uh, kick myself. I believe it's a, shit, is it bacterial? Well, fuck, I don't know. Um, but it's passed uh, in only humid areas. It's an active viral uh, hemorrhagic disease transmitted by infected mosquitoes. 
okay, yellow but it refers to the jaundice in spit and stuff. I know that. Like it's um, not like COVID in, in that it can be passed by spit. I didn't realize it was viral though. Yeah, uh, passed by mosquitoes. Africa, South America, vaccination is uh, recommended, which obviously did not exist then. You get jaundice, jaundice, jaundice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yellow eyes, headache, nausea. Yep. It's one of the reasons that uh, Fever, Haiti, the Haitian pain. rebellion worked. Like, uh, I don't even want to get into this, but well, go uh, to Haiti, Linda. all these people coming from France never had this stuff before they land in Haiti. <laughs> They're all dead. Uh, and so they can't put down that slave rebellion. Um, also, actually, in um, the American Revolution, too, I believe there was uh, – the British Army either got that or malaria, and it killed a lot of British soldiers. So uh, part of the reason the U.S. won the American Revolution. Anyway, but uh, passed by mosquitoes, they don't know that. They just know that if somebody has it, people around them are going to get it. So 1837, there's a yellow fever outbreak in, in Galveston. 1839, there's an, uh, another one. Um, I was going through the old newspapers. The people's reactions to it are, are really fun because it's, it's the exact same reactions we would have today. Uh, people are saying this isn't needed. Um, we don't need a quarantine. Uh, this is messing up business. This thing is ineffective. And you would basically have them trying to uh, work this quarantine without people uh, listening to them. Um, there's, I went ahead and read some accounts from the time of this yellow fever outbreak. That stuff is, is brutal. And I guess the uh, coronavirus would be this brutal if, if, if you know, things got out of control. But about yet one out of 10 people died uh, when you would get yellow fever. And so, you know, you'd see your neighbor would get it and they wouldn't know that it's mosquitoes passing from one house to the next. Like, uh, this one account I read thought that they thought it spread because the neighbor kid got it. He starts puking and they toss his puke out into the yard. And the family thought like the air from the puke went over to their house and that's what killed him. And, and basically that whole household, there was a mom, two sons, a dad, and a daughter, and the only people that ended up surviving the thing were the mom and the daughter. Uh, the yellow fever killed the rest of them. Uh, but, yeah, about one out of ten people in, in Galveston and that particular thing died. Uh, they would have the same lockdown conditions. We would – you're not supposed to leave the house. If you do leave the house, you stay away from people. You just basically go to the beach or something, and you, you keep your distance from people. Again, they don't know why they're keeping their distance, but they're keeping their distance. So um, that would be the thing, Galveston and Houston. Eventually, like the state was really hesitant to pass official laws uh, for these quarantines. So you'd have like the cities declare quarantine, but enforcing it, how the, how the heck are you going to do that? So you would have a lot of people just violate it and the state wouldn't do anything about it. So you'd get these shotgun quarantines where people would hear about an infection in the city, but they don't want it spreading and so, like, you're having the train leave the town, and people would just stop the train with a shotgun and say, this train's not going anywhere. And uh, and, and that would end up being, like, a the public doing the, the quarantine, not the actual uh, government. Um, what else are they going to say about these quarantines? There was a – one of the biggest quarantines in Texas is actually not for human uh, transmitted diseases. There's a huge thing where – well, actually, let me ask you, what do you think – what do you think the um, big concern for animals in Texas is going to be passing disease wise? Uh, what do you call it? Mad cow? No, not, not early on. Maybe recently. Actually, I don't know Foot if Texas mouth? has ever had a mad cow disease outbreak. 
What is it? Cholera. cholera. Pigs can pass cholera. Pigs can also pass smallpox. Like they're really closely related to us. But uh, I was reading this 1922 uh, newspaper, and they said Texas had the biggest land quarantine of cholera infected pigs anywhere. Uh, another thing, and this is one of the things that hurts Texas's uh, ranching industry. Texas tick fever. So like they would basically quarantine almost the entire state of Texas when you get these Texas tick fever outbreaks. And you still apparently get that today, but we have all this dip and stuff that we put cattle into uh, that will kill those ticks. Uh, and you have these Texas tick riders. Have you ever heard of those guys? No. So you would have these guys going up and down the border with Mexico, not ne- not to stop humans, but to stop cattle from coming over to Mexico uh, bringing these t- these ticks that carried this fever that if they infect Texas cattle, then basically that hurts Texas commerce because uh, nobody's going to get Texas cattle because it's got this Texas tick fever. So uh read that. Um, what else is I going to say about this? Um, basically, uh, oh, and we also had in Texas like an outbreak of infantile par- paralysis. Uh, I don't know how this spreads, but in 1952, uh, we had like a huge epidemic. It was it was apparently the worst epidemic for Texas and the nation as a whole in 1953. Uh, we have 4,000 cases of infant paralysis, where they basically I don't know uh, how to to prevent that, but they it's a virus. Eventually, they create a a, a vaccine for it. Um, 1918, Texas had to scul- uh, close its schools due to. Um, Spanish flu, but they only closed them for like two weeks. So apparently this is uh, a bigger deal than that. So, or, you know, just the fact there's more people now and it's easier to spread than it was back then makes it a bigger deal. But all the stuff, basically what I've learned is all the stuff that we've, we're doing today, we've done before and, and all the complaints we have, people have had complaints before. And, you know, you had, was it Alex Jones selling the whatever fake cure or something like that, that stuff's happened before. So it's kind of annoying. Um, everything is going on, but you know, we've, we've been here before. It's just, uh, you got to deal with it, I guess. I know that was very all over the no, place. No, no, no. I, I think to... that was great. I think you did miss one animal born, um, issue that, that we're having to really clamp down on. What's that? Zebra mussels, man. Everywhere. Wash no, that's boat. something different. I could talk zebra mussels for days. <laughs> I, I could not. Because I uh, have uh, whatever they call it, tryptophobia or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not like severely. Not like, oh my gosh, I can't look at barnacles without fucking vomiting. But if I do look at things that are like fucking clusters like that or boils or whatever, so, like I can't fucking hang with it, man. So pigs are a huge problem in Texas. The feral pigs and, and zebra mussels are both a product of the same thing. It's old world animals coming in the new world. And we just don't have the predators necessary to keep those things in check. So, like, uh, pigs without whatever the hell it is in Europe that kills them. I don't know what what would kill them in the old world. Uh, lions and shit in Africa. I have no idea. True but uh, we don't we don't have uh, stuff capable of doing that here. And so the same thing with zebra mussels. In, like, the 1970s, somebody dropped cargo off in Candor ballast from a ship in Canada eventually makes its way down the Great Lakes and into the Mississippi River, and it's been spreading from there. Um, but, yeah, it's the same thing. With, the same problem as lionfish off the coast of Florida. Those are brought from Asia. So it's all old-world shit getting to the new world, and we don't have enough natural predators to it. So, yeah, same thing. I mean, you can even connect that to, like, disease with the, the American Indians is uh, old-world disease. You know, they just don't have the resistance to it. So... 
apparently a uh, new world is just not up to old world stuff. Like old world stuff just beats up on new world stuff. And um, so, yeah, anyway, that oh, makes sense. I, I like it. Times. I like it. All right. So mine will be uh, in the same vein, obviously. Uh, um, uh, I, 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 I can't overstate how fortunate I think we are. And then, uh, the other podcasts I do on Partial Recall to have all of history as content, whereas a lot of people have to focus on the now in order to generate. And not saying that they can't or that they don't, because you know we're getting by just fine. Um, but I've always felt like whatever it is that's topical and going on now is what's guided us to talk about things. So um, what led me down the rabbit hole was looking up viral outbreaks in Texas and throughout Texas history. And uh, obviously that's what you just hit on. So I'm very thankful that I didn't stop there because as I was doing that search, I uh, wandered upon an item and a place and a thing that I was very familiar with um, in its modern day form um, years ago, but kind of knew the peripheral story and then wanted to dig in a little bit more uh, to get a better idea. And there's not a ton of salacious stuff here or anything crazy, but good use of word here because I wanted to talk about Mineral Wells, Texas, Crazy Water, and uh, the bakery hotel, the bakery, the Baker Hotel. Um, so one thing that kind of led me down this path is uh, you hit on a lot of the outbreaks and a lot of the things that Texas has dealt with throughout times. And early on, you did touch on the fact that every single time one of these things happens, just like nowadays with what is it, Alex Jones getting in trouble for pitching, hey, drink this uh, liquid silver and it'll make your you know, coronavirus go away and you know, hydrochloroquine talk and all that stuff. Um, baseless or unproven or medical solutions that lacked, you know, we have the FDA now. We certainly didn't have that entity back then. Um, but basically the snake oil concept is ripe for the picking in the early 1900s. Um, the city or town of Mineral Wells is located about 50 miles west or northwest near the Oklahoma border of te North Texas. And it probably was established right around the turn of the century, right around 1900. Uh, so it's like 50 miles west of Fort Worth. Yes, 51 miles. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, uh, didn't your mom live out that way or something like that? Yeah, right, right near there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Mineral Wells is uh, uh, about an hour outside of uh, the DFW Metroplex, like we're saying. But around the 20s is when it really gained a lot of popularity and by a lot of popularity i mean they were hosting the training camp for the chicago white Sox the year of the chicago black Sox. uh um uh what do you call that debacle controversy or whatever um hosting the i think the st louis cardinals or whoever were the cardinals that year they hosted their training camp back in the 20s mm. uh later on they would host the state's RNC base or the state's Republican convention uh, to uh, appropriate their delegates for the presidential election. So Eisenhower Taft's um, Republican convention for the state of Texas was held in uh, Mineral Wells, which for a town that's about 15, 20,000 big now, like that's pretty huge to be doing these kinds of things. And you're like, why the F would anybody go all the way out to Mineral Wells? It's 
small town. It's not centrally located to the rest of the state. It's not like southwestern Oklahoma has a lot to offer. Um, but what is there is back in the early 19-teens, and I think it's like 19, uh, the first year in which the big discovery was made, uh, 1880, the first well in Mineral Wells is drilled um, by on property belonging to James Lynch. Uh, and they didn't drink the water at first because it had a funner, a funny taste to it. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, in 1881, uh, Billy Wiggins, who is known as Uncle, uh, digs what's known nowadays as the crazy well. Realizing that the water that was coming out of the earth was funny tasting because it was extremely high in alkaline and or extremely alkaline and high in mineral content. Um, so I don't know if you've tasted alkaline water. But essentially, water has a pH from anywhere from 0 to 14, I believe it is, right? Uh, 14 being basically acid. Uh, 7 being extremely balanced or you know, perfectly balanced pH. Anything below 7 is listed as basic. And when you taste something that is even a uh, 6.5, actually, so I'm not just pulling them completely out of my, my uh, annals of mental history, um, when you're drinking waters that have, I'm sorry, I may have this backwards. Yeah, um, I think you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. So zero to seven would be acidic. Seven to 14 would be basic. So I appreciate uh, the uh, patience there. So if you're drinking something, even with a pH of like 7.3, you're going to very, very clearly taste like, almost chalk. like you were, exactly, perfect. Like you're pouring water through rocks is what I would have said. And chalk is you know exactly that concept there. Um Along with the fact that this is, you know, well water. Uh, so if you've ever gone out to the country, turned on tap water, and you're like, okay, what the hell's going on here? Um, it just kind of has a weird taste to it. Have you ever had that kind of sense of like, oh, I prefer the water in this place or the water here tastes funny? Have you ever been typed to recognize it? Taste works very well. I, I hear people say that about New York water, that it makes good pizza and stuff like that, but yeah. I've never picked up anything unless it's like seawater i can't tell the difference yeah i'm not great at it either um but i do know when something tastes like it's off of a well versus like getting filtered through a normal system for sure you're right yep Um, and that's and that's exactly the big key here so the amount of sulfates in the water um completely changed the taste of it'll change the smell of it to a certain extent uh so the crazy well was drilled in the early 1800s by the end of uh 1882 after this first well was drilled um this guy billy wiggins basically began jarring the water and professing its medical claims to heal all kinds of um maladies and pulling straight from the label of one of the early um bottles or at least um uh, a newspaper advertisement of the, one of the bottles. Uh, it was listed as non-poison or the non-poisonous water uh, that gets results. Basically um, the most powerful water in the world. It fills you with sunshine bodied bottled in bond by pleasant memory, mineral wells, Texas. Uh, and they were selling that for 25 cents, basically 25 cents back then. I don't know. Fucking a lot of money, whatever. Uh, but by the end of that year, uh, they had built basically a 
reputation of being a spa town or a resort town, kind of like all of us think of hot springs, uh, in Arkansas of like, Oh, go there for their, um, I should know the word geothermal, um, springs. Uh, people began to come to mineral wells to drink and bathe and bottle the water themselves. Uh, and so there were all kind of promises from, uh, crazy water, curing um we've already talked about malaria was one that one of the things that was listed to cure rheumatism gallstones and kidney and bowel and stomach troubles which if you do drink basic water on a regular basis i'm sorry for the redundancy there uh you will have some help with stomach issues even nowadays if you have heartburn and digestion those type of things like overly acidic exactly offsetting the amount of acid that you're drinking and especially for people who are uh lactose intolerant Hmm. like this is a definite route for you to continue to hydrate while taking in a higher level mineral content um that you wouldn't otherwise get without drinking you know cow's milk or something like that so Anyhow, um, crazy water went, you know, uh, off the charts as far as popularity. It went to the point where in the first few years, they were averaging 150,000 visitors uh, and health seekers from around the country. Now, people, you know, thinking back to the amount of information and how slowly things traveled from, uh, from an info standpoint, for 150,000 people to be commuting to, uh, a town like Mineral Wells, like basically, you know, by rail, essentially, uh, you know, you still don't even have vehicles early 1900 at that point that are getting people to and from it is pretty impressive. So that continues to grow. Uh, it grows the town. Um, Ed Dismuke found, founded the famous, uh, famous mineral water company in 1904. So if you go to Whole Foods today, you will see three different types of crazy water, bottled crazy water. And they sell it as the number two, number three, number four water. Um, the difference in numbers kind of step up from two to four on the amount of alkalinity. And I think it goes anywhere from 7.5 or I think their lowest alkalinity one is, I'm sorry, lowest pH. They have 8.9 is number two, light and crisps. You can drink that and it won't be much different. Um, number three has a pH of 7.5. However, it has a sulfate level. That's almost three times the amount of number two. Uh, and then number four works its way up to a pH of 8.2 strongest full body mineral water. They only recommend drinking no more than one to two classes a day, because if you drink all of the dissolved solids that are in that mineral water, you're going to feel like shit. If you drink too much of number four, you are going to shit a lot. Mm. Um, consuming that high amount of mineral water will make you do quite a bit. So anyhow, um, so crazy water, funny enough, became popular in modern day histories and stores throughout the state and maybe the region. I don't know if they saw them nationwide, but they got their big takeoff in 2007, 2008. Eight, I want to say, um, and funny personal anecdote. Yours truly. I've got a personal anecdote about this too, but go ahead. Yours truly was present in the initial meeting between Crazy Water and Whole Foods uh, huh. when discussing 
you know, negotiating shelf space margins, whether or not we're going to keep the product, what the purpose and value and why, and them selling us on this and the idea of it, blah, 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 blah. Um, to which I just thought, you know, whatever, this is weird. And, you know, walked away with a couple cases of water to take to the house made for terrible, like random mixers. But at that time I was in college and my side job or not side job, the job that I had while in college was at Whole Foods and I worked as a buyer. Uh, and we would meet with small product companies to discuss this very thing. So I remember meeting with them at the time, and one of my bosses was all in on it. And fortunately, it was because it went. It was it was absurd. You could build a whole end cap, which is basically saying like buying seventy to eighty cases of water, putting them up just in the box. Like we got to the point where you didn't even like break them out of the box and people were buying up boxes of them to be done with it hmm. within like three days. So hmm. individual stores were blowing through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases, like on a monthly basis of this water. And to this day, like it may have cooled down quite a bit, um, but it is still very popular, still well sought after. Um, the other things I wanted to hit on just to kind of wrap up this general story of, Hey, there's a water company, blah, 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 blah. Um, what really triggered this to be an interesting thing to me, uh, is that not just that there's water that they used to sell as a solution to malaria and other virus out viral outbreaks, but they built a hotel. There's a Baker hotel that went up in mineral wells, uh, in 1919, which if you're doing the math and thinking about the times, it's right before the Great Recession when this hits. And they built a $1.2 million hotel, $29 million hotel, which is about a $20 million building in nowadays money, which, you know, economies of scale, costs of equipment, stuff would be a lot more. So, you know, you can imagine it's probably closer to buying like a $200 million hotel in Mineral Wells. 450-bed hotel, two ballrooms, a beauty mm-hmm. shop, Bowling alley, a gymnasium, outdoor swimming pool, indoor, or they did not have an indoor one, uh, and basically took over the downtown skyline of Mineral Wells. Uh, throughout the 30s, it became a roaring populate or roaring destination um, for you know people that were well off because of the recession. You know, it became Wait, kind so of 20s a, would be when everybody's doing well. 30s depression. Right, right, right. So I'm saying. Okay. Well, 1920, as far as inflation flipping, it dropped oh, yeah. in like 20 was a bad year. Correct. So yeah, okay. 29 is the stock market crash. Yeah, correct. Sure. Sorry. But post that, it became kind of a, um, like, a, I guess an oasis for those who still had money and who still were like trying, you know, you couldn't just go out and be rich in big cities. So, you know, people like, Glenn Miller, Clark Gable, Judy Garland, Lyndon B. Johnson, um, Bonnie and Clyde, apparently. Uh, all of these people had made their way through mental wells because it was kind of a place where you could still kind of be in a lavish setting without being in a huge, you know, uh, destitute place. Uh, what brought things back, obviously, was the war in the 40s. Um, and... What helped out, you know, following uh, the hotel running on hard times, you know, throughout the Depression, uh, after, you know, kind of the initial um, propping up by some celebrities. I mean, you're not going to make your nut on bringing in 10 celebrities, basically, for a 450-foot bed hospital, is that they used 
a lot of the reputation of the health spa was declined. However, because of, you know, antibiotics and penicillin and real medicine started fucking happening and doctors began saying like, Hey, this ain't it. Um, business began to suffer. What turned things around, um, was later in the 1900s, like 1980, 1990, as like the health craze begins and fucking kook medicine, like resurfaces where you can just write a book and publish it on your own is what drove people to go back to this. And the crazy water rival, you know, whole thing was, uh, revived. What's ridiculous is that I was talking about like in the fifties, having the, uh, Republican party convention, the democratic party held their convention there in 54. So the town still held its own and this huge hotel still existed, but by the mid to late fifties or 1970s, basically they closed out the hotel in 1972 in 2010, they brought back the hotel, um, and they've put in $56 million, uh, or they're, they're put working on a $56 million, uh, renovation to reopen its doors, um, with hotel doors projected to open in 2022. Now, who knows if that's still going to be the date, but, yeah. um, it's just really cool to think of like, this basically ghost hotel that came to be all because of fake science throughout all of these viral outbreaks that we were talking about earlier. And then it comes back mostly because I said, Hey, yes, buy this stuff. Me personally, only me. And then what's killed it off potentially from coming back is another virus. So anyhow, crazy water, mineral wells. Oh, famous people from mineral wells real quick. Okay. Amanda Shires, Jason Isbell's wife from mineral wells. And then some guy named Shane McNally, I guess is a writer for, uh, um, was a writer for like country music, apparently wrote on like some NBC show named songline. Doesn't matter. Amanda Shire's from there. Great, hot, gorgeous, talented. Go on with your anecdotes. All right. So I think my, my little stepbrother would go into, um, raves in the, the hotel, but it, he, I think he turned out really stupid because the police station's right by it. And I think they got busted. Either that or there was a ghost. They would go look for ghosts in there. I can't remember. This might be in my. Yes. So it is a very popular uh, place that's known to be haunted. It showed up on the TV show Ghost Adventures, Celebrity Ghost Stories with uh, Eric Balfour saying that he uh, was haunted there. Okay, so that's that's story one. I but I don't even know if that's real. I, I my brain's telling me that happened. My my stepbrother would do that, but I don't know if it's real. Other thing, uh, my mom, she lives right by there. She has a well. That's where she gets her water. She didn't live near a city, and um, I'll have to go out there once a month and and climb up this ladder. And last time I did it, there was a wasp nest on the ladder, and I got stung a bunch. But I have to climb up this ladder to a water tank and pour a cup of bleach in the water tank. Uh, and if I don't do that, it smells like rotten eggs. The sulfur so bad. So maybe I can start bottling that <laughs> and making money off people. But um, um, that's one thing. The other thing is, uh, what the hell was this one? This one was a good one. Oh, that crazy water. So when they started advertising, it was Mike Madonna w- was the big crazy water guy, right? If that's the case, another weird random thing about that is at the time he was married to um what was her name she was a musician she had like one song yes willa ford okay and they lived somewhere in preston hollow and willa ford would come in and shop at the preston forest whole foods where i worked where we had that meeting 
in 0809. I don't know that I ever saw Mike Madonna myself, but that is very uh, random that you would bring up. <laughs> That's crazy because well, I know for thing. sure that I, I, I had to talk with her a couple times. Don't remember like what she ordered, but yeah. So I'm wondering, like, so the FDA came out in 1906. I'm betting they're they probably part of the reason they crazy water started going downhill is because they probably got around to inspecting it eventually and said, you're making stuff up. A lot of this stuff you're saying is lying. But then in, in 2007 or whenever it came out again, I would hear these things about Madonna or the commercials for it. I remember Mike Madonna would be on some. Others would say, like, crazy waters became famous in 18 whatever because – uh, it was told to cure whatever. And like the way they would word it would not say exactly that it cured this thing, mm -hmm. but they were worded like just, just around that basically implying that it cured, it cured certain things. And I was thinking, man, the FDA needs to get a hold on this. You can't make these false claims because it was so close. They eventually would, um, would fix it. But I remember one day they started doing it and I couldn't stop thinking about that the whole whole morning like i was driving into work and there was these commercials on the ticket and i was just like man they, that's fda needs to get on that they're they're gonna fool some people uh but then i couldn't stop thinking about it and that morning i went into teach texas history and one of the things we have this paper and, and i'm telling them all right this is how you do newspaper research and we go to the poor old texas history which is what i talk about all the time here and i'm showing how to look at old newspapers and I swear the first newspaper, I randomly threw in a, a, a search term. I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been murder clown. That's my go-to <laughs> random search term. I swear to God, the, spent the whole morning thinking about Crazy Water. First thing that popped up was like a 1920 paper with an advertisement for Crazy Water for Mineral Wells. Like, I mean, it, that just blew my mind. I know that's not a big coincidence to everybody, but I was like, I, I certainly stopped down. I was like, holy shit. I've never, never thought about this thing before today. And then this happened. So anyway, that was a uh, glitch in the matrix. I know that wasn't exciting, but no, I, I think it's going to lead me to, uh, I think maybe that's our answer. Maybe that's how we escape this matrix. Like, uh, we need to just douse ourselves in crazy water. Sure. There you go. That's it. That's, that's <laughs> what we need to do to kill Corona is crazy water. Well, uh, I think we somehow got our way to uh, a reasonably informative episode. Uh, I will clean up the beginning, but for those who don't hear uh, the product prior to this, do know you can find Brad on YouTube at Historo with all of your video history related content coming up soon. You'll probably see him with games and streaming content galore uh, related to history and such future episodes of this we may also throw up on a live youtube or twitch stream just because we can at this point uh and been like brad said everybody's doing it so anything else nothing all right we'll see ya